I speak, I, I like to start by saying I'm humbled, I'm privileged to be up here, and today is no different. I, I'm excited to share um, today what God has given me. So, daylight savings time, we all made it here on time, and the thing I like about daylight savings time is, as a millennial, it is the one time of the year that I'm on time, because I show up an hour early, so that's good. So today, we are embarking on a life with faith. Now, if I'm being honest, uh, when I was looking through the notes that Pastor Mark gave me and, and I saw my name fell beside November 4th, which was a life with faith, my honesty is I was challenged. And, and many of you know kind of the last three months, or me, uh, what have, they've been like for me, and, and I just want to assure you, this isn't something that I'm going to reference every time, but three months ago, we found out my dad has stage four brain cancer. Um, so for me, faith has been put in to challenge. And quite honestly, the first few weeks of this, this journey, um, I felt kind of faith slipping away. And, and it was because I felt this, this overwhelming fear of, of what's going to happen to my dad. And, 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 you know, I don't want to watch my best friend suffer. And all of these things that I was faced with as, as I had to go through the appointments and through some of these things with my dad. And I'm still afraid and I still have things that I'm challenged with. But I was reminded of a hat I used to wear. Um, when I was 18 years old, I I face some mental health issues, and, and people always make fun of my hair now and how I like to have it perfect, but quite honestly, I always wore hats. I never went anywhere without a hat. And I had this hat made back when fear crippled me, and it says, faith defeats fear. And I used to wear it everywhere I, I went, and, and it was a way of people would ask me, they'd say, well, what does that mean? And I, it was an, a conversation starter when I could share with them about what God had done. So today, faith defeats fear. And quite honestly, through this whole thing, I'm so excited to share it today because I think my faith has actually been strengthened through something challenging. So if you've been with us um, as a part of this series, we've kind of gone through four different postures uh, with postures. So we've gone through life under God. What does that mean? And, and it's kind of the idea of, of trying to obey God with everything you have because you're afraid that one day he's just going to lay down the hammer on you. We've gone through life for God, where you're, you're fervently searching for what he has for your life and you're trying to follow him, but in doing so, you completely forget to actually serve him and have a relationship with him. A few, uh, a few weeks ago, I spoke on a life over God, which is the belief that, you know, God exists and Jesus had some good teachings and, and he's, he, he created the, uh, the world and he created us, but at the end of the day, he, he doesn't really have anything to do with my life. He's kind of backed off, so I got it from here. And finally, a life from God. How can I... How can I respect and love God so that he can in turn bless me? And what we've learned is that all four of these postures have holes in them. At the end of the day, as people, we, we, we place so much responsibility in ourselves, meanwhile leaving God out of it, that we set ourselves up for great failure. Each one of these has holes. So today, a life with faith. And many of you may ask, okay, well, faith, what is faith? And my argument is that no matter where you come from, whether you're sitting here in a pew today and you've been in church since you were a little kid, um, like myself, or maybe you're someone who, who has gone through faith and, and you know, you've maybe wandered away for a while and you know the truths of Jesus, but you understand kind of what's going on, but you're not really paying attention or, or giving your life to that. Or maybe you're a person who's sitting here today and faith is something, it's kind of a distant idea. You know, you don't believe in God. Maybe you're here today with a friend. Maybe you're here today because you just find yourself here. But every single person practices faith every single day. Now let me ask you, by a show of hands, because I like to do this with the youth, I include their hands so that they actually listen to me, because you don't want to get caught putting your hand up for something you didn't do. Um, so, how many people here today got here by car? Hands up. Okay, almost everyone. I had to ask because Luke's American and he thinks people come on dog sleds and snowmobiles, because... 
that's of course, and we know everyone in Canada as well. Yeah, Steve down in Ontario, met him a lot of times. But everyone today came in on a car, or in a car, not on a car, hopefully. Um, but here, here's my question to you. How many of you guys saw your car manufactured? No one. No one. So you're trusting that these machines that people built, which hopefully they're put together well, are in fact putting your car together properly so that when you're going down the road, a tire doesn't flow off and you head into the ditch or into the river or something worse. The other thing you're having faith in is that when you're driving along the road, just on your own way, singing or harmonizing like I like to do, you're driving along, who's saying that the person coming towards you, a complete stranger, isn't going to come across the middle lane and hit you head on? You're having faith in people you've never met. We've all flown, most of us have flown. I'm not afraid of flying, but sometimes I think, okay, so I'm in this big metal bird that's hovering 30,000 feet in the sky or something like that. I'm trusting that it's one working properly. There's also some stranger who often aren't very friendly when I say, thank you so much for flying my plane today. Yeah, okay. But I'm trusting that that pilot actually went to pilot school or whatever you call it. I'm trusting that they didn't have anything to drink before they got in the plane. I'm trusting that they didn't get in a massive fight with their uh, spouse. I'm trusting that they're not wanting to get home as fast as they can so they can watch the Oilers win. I'm trusting all of those things. I'm having faith in someone I don't even know with my life up in the sky. I order food from Tim Hortons every day. Luke gives me a hard time. I'm having faith that the lady who calls me sweetheart isn't putting something in my ice cap. You know, I'm having faith each and every day that someone isn't messing with my food when I order. We all have faith every day. I have a story. When, when, when I was a kid, I looked up to my sister, and I use that past tense because, you know, I'm the, older, I'm the younger, smarter brother now, but I always looked up to my sister with, with, with great passion, and I loved her, and I still do, but I remember when I was about four years old, we were getting babysat by my grandparents, and, and my sister went away for a while, and I kind of sat in the hallway all moped over because my sister was gone, and when she came back, her face was covered in this purple, all over her face was purple and pink. And I said to her, I said, well, Alicia, like, that looks so cool. How did you get that? And she looked at me and she said, well, you want to know what I did? Because I got down on my hands and my knees and I put my nose on the carpet and I dragged it across the carpet for about 10 minutes. And I'm like, really? Of course, I had faith in my sister and I wanted to look like her. So if I could explain my grandparents' carpet to you, it's the type of carpet, it was like nylon. If like if spiders walked on it, you could hear them. Um, <laughs> If you were to rub this carpet on sand, like on a brick wall, like the brick wall would lose. Like it was hard carpet. And I got down on my hands and my knees and my grandma's like, why is there blood on my carpet? So about a month after that, I had this massive kind of scab on my nose because I had faith in my sister to love me and guide me in the right direction. And oftentimes uh, she did not. So faith means having complete confidence in something or someone. So in our setting here in church, where we come to learn about God, faith means having complete confidence in God. And a lot of us right now would say, okay, yeah, that's easy. So I'm going to pack up my iPad and I'm going to head down there and we're all going to keep singing. But at the end of the day, faith is not that easy. And it is something that I have really realized. When I'm scared and when I'm angry or when I'm unsure or insecure or when, when I'm fearful, Faith becomes challenging. So my, kind of my, my message today is a life with faith means surrendering your hands and letting go when all you want to do is hold tight with everything you've got. 
So a life with, faith, uh, life with faith means surrendering your hands and letting go, being done, when all you want to do is hold tight and cling to everything with everything you have inside of you. And you might ask, well, that can be easy. Well, what makes it so hard to let go? Or maybe I don't want to have my hands on it in the first place. But I would argue that since the beginning of time, humans have seeked control. When I talked about the life over God posture, we want control. We want to be in control of our own lives, our own fears, our own worries, because when we have to place something in the unknown or something we can't see, it causes us anxiety. So we try and do it ourselves, oftentimes setting ourselves up for failure. We seek control because we feel danger. We feel threats. We feel things that are unknown to us. And again, we want to take matter into our own hands. So a danger is anything that causes fear, unknowns, or anxiety. Now, there's perceived danger and there's actual danger. So perceived danger, an example. Okay, so that pew um, that Irene's sitting on there looks a little wobbly. So I'm not going to join you because if I do at 250 pounds, we might hit the deck. And we don't want that. But my perceived danger is, okay, that looks kind of what it doesn't actually, so you're, you're safe and fine. But if I were to think that that looks scary, I'm going to control the situation and I'm going to go sit somewhere over here. If I think that my jeans look too skinny in the morning, I'm not going to put them on because if I go to bend the wrong way, they might rip. We often like to make fun of my skinny jeans as well, so I thought I'd throw a little jab in there at myself. There's also actual danger. So, so one of them has, has hit me recently with my dad's health. It's a scary thing. You know, you hear stories about cancer. I lost both my grandparents to can my, my grandpas to cancer. It's scary. It's an actual danger. If I'm walking, hiking, Tiana wishes I hiked, but if I was hiking with her in the backcountry and I met a grizzly bear head on, I'm going to be horrified and terrified, and I'm going to want to control the situation, and I don't even remember what they taught me. I'll run. Apparently, that's a terrible idea. But there are actual dangers, and there's perceived danger. And, and, and the point is, is... We seek control in those situations. Now, they can come in, uh, danger can come in health struggles, whether personal or family, like I shared. Maybe it's a financial struggle you're going through where you feel like you're looking at your bank account and you see this number going down and down and down more. And I've experienced this with student loans and thinking it was free money and some things. Other, and all of a sudden, you see red numbers. And quite honestly, in all reality, it's scary. It can cause you not to tithe. It can cause you to, to, to be hungry. It can cause you to go through a lot of things that are scary financial struggles, or an uncertainty about a job. You want, you want to control the situation. If you feel like you're, you're under pressure at work and you might be losing your job, you, you might feel like you're called there, but you want to latch on and get something more secure that you, you know you're going to be okay. Another one is, is relationships with people. I walked by a conversation the other day at work, quite honestly, and, and I was like, I wonder what they're saying about me. So I went and tried to like pry with a few people, like, so, like, what are you talking about? I wanted to control, I wanted to know. I'm not, I'm not a father, but, but I know what it's like to watch parents, my parents, other parents, go through life having their kids wander and, and stray away from either faith or home. And they, they have this overwhelming fear and anxiety that the one they created is no longer somewhere where they can control and, and make sure that they're okay. For me, my hair goes gray. Easy, control it, just for men. A little secret. But honestly, control is actually hardwired into our bodies. It's called the flight and fight complex. And I'm going to read something here quickly. I'm not a doctor, so I did not come up with this. But in response to acute stress, the body's sympathetic nervous system is activated due to a sudden release of hormones. 
The sympathetic nervous system stimulates the adrenal glands, triggering the release of catecholamines, which include adrenaline and noradrenaline. So summed up, basically, your body has these, these feelings of, okay, this is scary, this causes me fear, I don't know what's happening, I want to know what's happening. Your body, your body reacts, and naturally, your heart rate increases, your blood pressure grows, goes up, you start to sweat, you start to get this anxiety, and that's all a natural part of what your body does. And it says, well, well have no worry, because about 20 to 60 minutes later, you'll be okay once the threat leaves. So our bodies are actually wired to want to take control via flight or flight, uh, fight. Again, if, if I see something that's causing me distress or it's an unknown and, and I want to face it head on, I want to take control of that myself, I'm going to have some fight in me and I'm going to stare it in the eyes and I'm going to tackle it. Or if it's a flight type of thing, maybe I'm afraid of heights and I'm on my way up the stairs and I'm like, okay, that is high and you back down. Take control. You're out of there. Flight. Gone. As human beings, we naturally want to control everything. And I ask you, is control effective? What is the outcome of taking control ourselves? Because through this whole series, we've learned about these postures towards God where at the end of the day, we seek control because it makes us feel better. And my answer is temporarily. There are a lot of things that I can get through on my own temporarily and I feel pretty good about myself all high and mighty and I can pop my collar and I can feel great because I did it. But then when it comes back the next time or when something catastrophic happens, when a major life earthquake comes into my life and shakes everything I have and I want to take control, we are not designed as human beings to take control of some things. And I was taught all my life, have a little faith. People out of love the last three months have been telling me, have a little faith, and, and I believe you. But what does faith mean in our walk with God? So, one verse that kind of sums up faith, it's one of the only kind of definitions and understandings of faith that we have in Scripture, is found in Hebrews 11. It says, Now faith is confidence in what we hope for, and it's assurance about what we do not see. And, and honestly, I sat at my desk this week, and I've sat with my Bible many times in my life, and, and I stare into the page, and I read this, and I say, now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. And honestly, it's, it's a hard verse to understand. So you're saying that the definition for faith is basically a bunch of things that are kind of very vague. Because from my experience in school and in my life, when people from, from different backgrounds and different beliefs, and, and, and they ask me, okay, well, why do you have faith in God? It's almost as if they expect me to take out a piece of paper, write down an equation, and it's like, boom, here's God. Have some faith. But as believers, as people who are, who are seeking something, is faith something that you can simply write down on a piece of paper? My argument is no. It says, no, faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. Now, the word confidence, which, which in the Greek is hypostasis, it means co uh, confidence in the NIV is the translation. Um, in the KJV, it says substance, which it literally means substance or underlying foundation. So I like to think of, of this church or, a, or a, a house. You see the house standing there. It's sturdy. It's built. It, it doesn't sink into the mud unless it's like my parents. But it has this, this foundation that it's built on, an underlying foundation. So faith, let's say faith in God, faith in God is the underlying foundation or confidence in what we hope for. Track with me. 
So what do we hope for? Well, as believers, we hope for heaven. We hope for, for eternal life. We hope that when we pass away in this body, we go spend eternity with Jesus because that's his promise. We hope for his promises, that he will never leave us or forsake us and give us that peace that passes all understanding and he'll be with us in our hearts and he'll love us unconditionally. That's what we hope for. We hope for blessings of God. We've learned about the life from God where we just want to be blessed, but we still hope that God blesses us with health, with happiness, with joy. Those aren't bad things to hope for. So faith in God is confidence in the blessings of God. Now, if I, were, if, I were to, if I were to explain that to someone, they'd kind of be like, I don't understand what you're saying. And to go further, it's the, it's the, it's the assurance of what we do not see. Now, assurance, the word elenchos, means a conviction or a vital certainty. So here, here, let me ask you this. Think of someone right now in your own minds that you, without a doubt, 100% know loves you. Think of someone that you know loves you with all their heart. Now, I think of my wife. I think of my parents. Think of someone in your hearts right now that, that you know loves you. And if someone were to come up to you and say, prove it. Prove that your parents love you. Well, I would say, I can't write down an equation for you. But you know what? I've lived under my parents' uh, love for 26 years. And I've seen them love me. I've watched them love me. I've felt them love me when I was down and out and on my own. And I felt like I had nothing left. My parents loved me and picked me up as their son. That is proof and confidence in my heart. I can't see it. It doesn't matter what they buy me or what they give me. It doesn't matter if I'm over in Europe and they're here. I might not be able to see them. But I know in my heart I have confidence that they love me. I have faith that they love me because I have experienced that love in my heart and it is something that I hope for and I trust is going to be given to me. Not because of anything that I've done. And it sounds familiar to God's love for us. We can't necessarily see him, but we have faith that he exists because when we ask him into our lives, when we ask him into our hearts, we experience his love. We feel it. And man, yeah, I have that confidence that the things that I hope for will be given to me because he said so. I have assurance. I have a conviction inside of me because I have experienced that love that the things that I cannot see, I'll see them someday. That is faith. Today, we set back our clocks, daylight savings time. Prove it. Prove to me that daylight savings time exists. Is it in Saskatchewan? Does it exist, Brenda? No, because Saskatchewan's weird and they don't do daylight savings time. But daylight savings time, daylight savings time. We all change our clocks back year to year. Otherwise, we'll be late or early. It's not something that you can necessarily explain to someone. It's something that we experience every year, so we do it. We know it's true because we go through every single year and everyone else does it and we see, we see effects of it in our life and we, we trust that it's going to happen, so we do it because we've experienced it and it's never let us down. You know, the best part about faith is Jesus gave us the best example. Now in Matthew 26, 36 to 46, we read about Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. And, and this happens after the Last Supper, and it's right before he gets betrayed by Judas, and Peter denies him three times. So Jesus is, is distraught. He's upset. He knows that he has to go die a sinner's death on a cross in our place. And he's terrified. And it says he takes a few of his disciples with him, and he goes to the garden, and he asks them to watch and wait 
And he goes off and he falls on his knees and, and it says he prays in agony. He was so fearful. It says in Luke's account that he actually sweat drops of blood, which is a condition that when you're so horribly terrified and fearful that blood actually leaves your face. Jesus, the son of God, was afraid. He had, he had unknown, he was scared. Like you and I, he was scared. And it says three different times he pleaded with God. He said, God, if there is any other way, Father, if there's any other way that I can save man, I can save mankind, if there's any other way, please take this cup from me, please. But the most important part of those verses is after each of the three times he prays, he says, not my will, Father, but your will. Not my will. You know what? Father, I'm scared. I know I have to go get nails through my wrists and my feet, and I've never done anything wrong, and I love the world, and I love you, Father, but please take this from me. But if, if you can't, your will, not mine. You see, he had faith. Jesus had faith in his Father because of his relationship with him. He had experienced the Father's love through his whole life. He knew he was chosen. He knew he had a calling. He knew he had a job to do here on earth. And he knew that because he knew his Father. And the best part, the best part about that is the same relationship that Jesus has with the Father. That's very, very same relationship as possible for you and for me with Jesus. In John 10, we read about the good shepherd. And I'm going to read this to you, and we're kind of going to walk through this. And that same relationship is available for us. He starts in verse 1. He says, Very truly, I tell you, Pharisees, anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate but climbs in by some other way is a thief or a robber. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and he leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. It says, Jesus used this figure of speech, but the Pharisees did not understand what he was telling them. So a few points. Jesus is using this example of sheep. And quite honestly, sheep was a really familiar way. We've all read Psalm 23 where where David lays out the perfect shepherd in his experience. We've all all read about sheep many times. And in that day, sheep were often used for teaching because honestly, sheep are dumb. Sheep screw up. Sheep make mistakes. Without a shepherd, sheep will literally go like, okay, where should I run? I'm going to run off this cliff because that seems like a good idea. And in our own lives, we know we get ourselves into trouble. We try and take control of things. We got it. We'll get ourselves into so much trouble. Hey, that wolf looks really nice. I should probably just stand here and let it come at me. Jesus is using an example of sheep because sheep are needy, needy creatures who need someone to watch over them. It says that there is a single gatekeeper which allowed shepherds to tend to certain flocks. So there was chosen gatekeepers that that allowed certain shepherds to to tend to certain flocks. Very important. It says that the shepherd calls his sheep by name. Now, in that day, as I studied, as I read, I learned that, that, that shepherds actually knew their sheep by name. Whatever it was, like Dopey or whatever, they called them, and the sheep heard their, the shepherd's voice, and they knew it. It said there could be a crowd of sheep from different flocks, and the single shepherd could call his sheep's name, and that sheep was the only one that would come. And it says that the sheep, 
in return, knew their shepherd's call. And my favorite part about this, which is such a promise of salvation, is it says that the shepherd goes out in front of them and to prepare a place, to prepare water, to prepare things for them, to make sure that they're going to be okay. And I've seen, I've seen videos of, of shepherds behind the sheep. I used to watch Mr. Bean, and I don't even know why that's in my mind, but there was one scene where Mr. Bean, something to do with sheep, and the shepherd was like smacking the sheep with his staff, and he's behind them, hurrying them. But this shepherd goes out in front of his sheep, and they follow behind him because they know his name. They, he knows their name, and they trust him. See, it says the Pharisees didn't understand. So Jesus put it more clearly. He says, very truly, I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. He's now turned it, Jesus is claiming he is the gate for the sheep. You see, the pens in this day were, were brick walls, and they were square enclosures, sometimes on, on different hills and slopes, but they were square um, pens that were made out of brick. And oftentimes, they only had one single gate. And they said, they, I read that, that they would lay either thorns across the, the gate to stop the sheep from going in and out, or the, the shepherd himself would be the gate. Jesus says, I am the gate for the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. He says, I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and they will go out and they will find pasture. They will be able to lay down and have rest. Verse 10, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have a life and have it to the full. See, there, there's two things. It, it can't be under, uh, understated about how dangerous it was for sheep. In the desert in that time, without a shepherd, sheep were doomed. They needed someone to look after them. And for the shepherd, too. The shepherd, being a shepherd is a dangerous job. You have wolves, you have threats, you have things coming in at you, you have, you have sheep biting you. But the shepherd, out of love, will lay down his life. He will guard that gate. He will stop anything and anyone from harming his sheep because he loves them. See, that God, that's his promise. Is, is, is for us. He wants to know us. He already does, but he wants to know us. He says, when you come, in, when you come into my pen, you will lay down and you will find pasture. See, outside this pen, there's a lot of things that try and destroy you. There's a lot of things that it says they, they come to seek you, kill you, destroy you, hurt you, harm you, make you live a life of fear, trying to figure out unknowns. What's going to happen next? But Jesus says, come on in. I got you. I'm going to stand here. Nothing is going to harm you. And he says, you're going to have life in abundance. Now, the definition of abundance isn't this long, miraculous life where we live to be 90 years old and we have tons of money and we drive Maseratis and we have everything we need. That's not what life in abundance is. A life in abundance is a life of fullness, full of peace, full of joy, whether I'm 5, 55, or 95 years old. My life can be in abundance when I enter in to Jesus' pen. thing is, nothing can harm us while we're in there. Even if life is tough, even if things challenge us, even if we're faced with trials, nothing can stop the shepherd from laying down his life for his sheep. 
Romans 8.38 says, For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, uh, sorry, will be able to separate us from the love of God that is Jesus Christ our Lord. Nothing. Nothing. So that pasture that you find when you go and lay down in the love and presence of Jesus every single day, that promise is already there. And the faith comes from experiencing it. Verse 14 says, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. So just as the Father knows Jesus, when Jesus was in the garden and he was terrified and he knew he was going to die, he knew people were going to betray him, he was scared and he submitted his, God, his life to God, that same relationship is available for us. Now, I explained a little bit about this hat. Um, and my background when I was about eight, and I've shared it before, but, and, and this, is, this is a message that, I, that I, I wrestle with because I battle it. And when I was 18 to 23, I was, I was in hospital for a long time with some mental health stuff. I was borderline schizophrenic. I had some OCD challenges. I was suicidal. My parents had to hide a lot of things in my house because they were worried that I was going to harm myself. It was a really, really, really dark time. And the words that I wrote on this hat were something that I wasn't necessarily convinced of. It was something that I was taught. And I remember one day, I felt that, 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 that Jesus spoke to me and said, I want you to speak to people. And I didn't know what the voice came from. And, and, and after a while, I, I kind of figured out that maybe this is a calling on my life. And in faith, I dug my heels into the ground and I, I worked hard to trust in God. And the only way I could do that, and this is something I want to do until I take my last breath, but it's entering into a relationship with him. Going through that gate that is, that is him and learning to trust him. Learning to experience him. That is, that is faith. And something I want to share um, about, people ask me about how my dad is all the time. And it's one of those questions, you're like, well, you know, it comes at you all the time, you've got to answer it. And if I could answer that question quickly, is my dad is good. Not because his body and his health is perfect, but, but man, I have seen faith in my dad. Even if, even if his body fails him, I'm sure he's scared. But he, I have seen that complete confidence that we read about that, 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 in what we hope for and the assurance of what we can't see. That's my dad. And that only comes because for a whole life he has served Jesus. And if that's not enough evidence for me to serve Jesus for my whole life with everything I have, then I don't know what is. See, faith is possible. A life with faith, a life with peace and joy, even when everything else around us fails, a life with faith, faith is possible when we know Jesus. Because when we know Jesus, he turns killers into beautiful people who preach the gospel. He turns alcoholics into loving fathers and mothers. This God, he takes people who, who are down and out on the streets and he gives them life where they, they can fend for themselves in a home and they can have kids and a family. This God transforms people. Billions and billions of lives have been transformed because of a loving, loving, good shepherd who watches over his sheep and who will lay down his life for his sheep. 
That's a promise. No matter how long your life is, no matter how good it is in possessions or worth or popularity or looks or anything else, nothing matters except for the fact that you have a loving shepherd who wants to know you. Think of this. There's a song that I've been listening to and he opens it up like this. He says, picture this massive table with just this feast all over it and you're starving and you're hungry and you, and you're, you need food and there's this massive table that you can see as far as you can see from east to west is this table and there's a chair and it's sitting there and it has your name on it and all you got to do, all you have to do is walk up, believe it's yours, pull it out, say thank you and sit down. All you have to do is believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord and profess it with your mouth, mouth and you will be saved. So as we transition to a time of communion here today, what separates the good shepherd from other shepherds? In verse 18, he says, Therefore my father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of myself. He says, I have power to lay it down and I have power to take it again. This command I have received from my father. See that loving sheep? He laid down his life for all of us and we, we need to know him. And the promise is that no matter what you've done in your whole life, whether you've messed up a million times, whether you've run so far from God that you feel like he doesn't even know your name anymore, he can't see you, he knows. He knows who you are, he knows what you've done, and he knows where you're going to be. And the best part is, is because he died that death on a cross in the place of you and me, we have this promise that we just have to walk through his gate. He will know us by name, and he asks us to follow us, follow him, and he, he will lead us to pasture. So if that's you here today, and whether you've been a believer before, this is your first time ever in church, all you have to do is pull out that chair and sit down and let the good shepherd lead you. Pray with me. Father, I thank you for this opportunity to preach your word. I thank you for your people here today, God, who, who sit down and they come in from different, different walks and different backgrounds and and different struggles and different challenges um, in their lives. And, and we all meet here today, God, under one common name. And God, if there's anyone here today, I, I just pray that they would repeat these words. Father, we need you. I need you. I need you to enter my life, God, and, and be my good shepherd. God, I know I've messed up. I know I've sinned. I know I've made mistakes, God, and I, I'm at the end of my rope. And I need to be rescued. God, may you enter my heart. Jesus, may you fill my heart and fill my life with your peace and with your Holy Spirit. We ask this all in your name, God.